one builds one's social capital or should in the same sense that one builds one's financial capital. But we don't teach that in school. We don't teach that at all. Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. For those of you who don't know my next guest, let me get you up to speed. He's a business pioneer who founded BNI, the world's largest business networking organization, and is considered by most the quote-unquote father of modern-day networking. He also happens to be an entrepreneur, a New York Times best-selling author, 22 books, by the way, a sought-after speaker, and a quote-generating machine, not to mention one hell of a guy. The man I reference is none other than Dr. Ivan Meisner, the recent recipient of the Humanitarian of the Year by the Red Cross and was also the recipient of the John C. Maxwell Leadership Award. We're fortunate enough during this conversation to learn how he got started in business, how important networking is, and all the good things that come to those who are well-networked, as well as what top networkers do to build their networks, but more importantly, how they curate them. I do want to apologize in advance for the sound quality. Due to timing and logistics, we had to host our conversation over Skype, and I ran into some technical issues. Of course, Dr. Meisner took it in stride and rolled with the punches like the classy guy that he is. Let me now take you to my conversation with Dr. Ivan Meisner. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. very much appreciate having you on the show. I've read a number of your books. Obviously, you are a guru in the networking space, but is that a a label that you like to stand by or are there any other labels in particular that lend themselves to you that you take pride in? I'm honored to have that label. Uh, Entrepreneur called me the the father of modern networking. I'm just really glad they're not calling me the grandfather of modern networking. You know, so it's uh, it's, I'm good with it all. I'm good with it all. I I never if you would have told me 35 years ago that this would be the direction I went, I, I wouldn't have believed you. I was a management consultant. And I help people with their companies, with their businesses. And one of the challenges that I had was referrals. I needed referrals for my consulting business. And I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization, but I I just wanted some referrals for my business. I wanted to help my friends put together a group that uh, we did just that. And someone asked if I'd help them open up a second one and then a third one and then a fourth one. And now we have 8,425 BNI chapters in 71 countries around the world. Wow. I've been to a few of them myself. And what's really impressive is I've been to a couple different ones in a couple different states. And the franchise model is extremely solid. Like there's really no deviation from it. Would you attribute that to one of the successes? Well, when it's done wrong, there's deviation. Uh, So I'm really glad to hear that (laughs) witness something that was very consistent because it should be consistent. Uh, One of the amazing things is that, you know, you go to different countries and you you can go into a BNI meeting anywhere in the world, not know the language but know exactly what they're doing. I, I remember the first time I went to Sweden, I was in Stockholm. They did the entire meeting in Swedish. Swedish isn't like Spanish. If you grew up in Southern California, like I did, you know, a little bit of Spanish or French where, you know, you pick up a few words here and there. No, Swedish is Swedish. You know, it sounds like, right? I'm watching this entire meeting in Swedish. And one of the directors leans over to me and says, um, you have no idea what they're talking about. 
do you? And I said, yeah, yeah, they're, they're introducing the referral part of the meeting. This re-give, they're, they're saying this is where you give a referral or if you don't have a referral, give a testimonial. And he said, wow, you know Swedish? I said, no, I wrote the agenda. That's what happens now. <laughs> and, that was it. And, and how'd you come up with the agenda? Let me rewind a little bit. So 35 yeah. years, you needed to, to drum up business. But where did this information come from? Is this natural? Are there any books that you had read? Is there someone that might be the grandfather of networking in your opinion? No, when I wrote my first book, uh, I started BNI in 1985. I started my consulting business a, a couple of years before that. In 1985, there were no books on networking. I uh, wrote what I believe is the very first book ever written on networking in 1987 called Networking for Success, which sold, by the way, about 20 copies. I mean, it, it did not do well, but I wrote it. And I did the uh, probably the first doctoral dissertation ever written on business networking, which I um, had published at the University of Southern California in 1993. There's nothing out there. We were inventing. There's nothing written, no systems or strategies, nothing out there like that. And we invented it as we went. And what do you think about just the term networking? There are a lot of times people, they call it a dirty word. Yeah. So to me, it's like anything. Sales can be a dirty word, but, uh, you know, you got to make a living. So selling is part of what you do. But a lot of people hate sales. I find some people that they absolutely don't like networking. But generally, that's because it's being done wrong. Let me give you an example of what I mean. A few years ago, I was in London and I was doing a keynote presentation. It was an all day event and I was doing the keynote and I stood up and I don't know what hit me, but I just thought I'd try something out. 900 people. I said, how many of you in the audience, this is the beginning of my talk, raise your hand. How many of your audience would are here hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly sometime today sell something? 900 people raised their hands. I said, great. Second question. How many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly buy something? Adam, no one raised their hands. Not one single person. This is what I call the networking disconnect. People show up at networking events wanting to sell, but nobody's there to buy. And that's networking done wrong. Now, people may say, well, wait a minute. Why go if you're not there to sell? I'll tell you why you go. You have to work through what I call the VCP process, visibility, credibility, profitability. You have to work through that process. That's why you're going to networking events. I'd be happy to talk about VCP a little more if you want, but that, that, okay, so VCP, you first have to be visible. People have to know who you are and what you do. What happens is people meet one another and they go, oh, hi, Adam, my name's Ivan. Let's do business. And they try to jump over visibility, jump over credibility, get right to doing business. In one of my books, we called that premature solicitation, which you don't want to say fast three times. It'll get you in trouble. So first is visibility, then is credibility. This is the one that takes the longest where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it. And then and only then can you get to profitability where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to give you referrals on an ongoing reciprocal basis. So networking should be more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships. So when I hear people say, I hate networking, I feel like I've been slimed, it's because they've been going either to the wrong events or that they have surrounded themselves with people that aren't networking. They're doing face-to-face -face cold calling, and that's not 
good networking. Yeah. When did Givers Game happen? I know that you uh, you trademarked it or patented. I forgot what. You trademarked know. it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something you've always said? Is that? I mean, to me, that just sums it all up. Yeah, that was in about the second year of BNI. So around 1986, we started using that expression, Givers Gain. And the idea with Givers Gain is that you want to come join BNI or or any really good network networking organization. You have to understand that first you must give. You have to help other people. Then you can get. Then you can receive something. I, I remember years ago, this gentleman who was going through a kickoff of a chapter, we were launching a chapter and he, he was in his 60s and he'd been in business a long time in the auto industry. And he said, um, he said, you know what? This has been a really interesting experience. I've been in this business for more than 30 years and for the and I have an epiphany today. I have this epiphany that really, if I want to build my business through referrals, I have to take off my bib and put on an apron. And we said, what, what, explain that? He said, for m- most of my life, it's been all about what's in it for me. What can I get? But the way you guys have described it is it's about ho- helping other people. And that by serving and helping others, the business will come to you. You got to take off your bib and put on an apron. And that was a very powerful statement that he made. And I think it's a good synopsis of what Giver's Gain is all about. Yeah. What do you do to try to kind of change the mindset of people? Because most people, that's a real big shift in thinking. Yeah. Anything in particular? Is there wisdom that you're imparting? Are there examples you're giving? I'd love to hear that. So it really is, I believe, all about education. Uh, one of the core values for BNI is lifelong learning. Uh, BNI has seven core values. And so the way we instill any culture, a culture is created through the core values. One of our core values, our principal core values, givers gain. But one of the other core values is lifelong learning. We don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. We don't teach networking, social capital, emotional intelligence. These are just things not taught. And so what we try to do in BNI, and my job is to be writing books and teaching people how to build their business through referrals. And so it really is about education. I do a weekly podcast. I've been doing blogging since 2007, so I've got 11 years worth of blogs. I've written more than a more than 200 articles for entrepreneur.com. And so I've written 22 books. So it's about creating a lot of content to teach people how to do this because nobody's teaching them. That's what we try to do. Yeah, it's amazing. So you threw out a couple terms that most people I don't think are familiar with, social capital being one of them. What's kind of your definition of social capital? Well, social capital is the capital that one has in terms of relationships. In the same way that we have financial capital, you add up financial capital is pretty easy to assess. You just, you know, kind of take a look at the value of the things you own, and that's your financial capital. But social capital is the value of the relationships that you have. And by value, I don't mean just what's in it for you financially. It's about what's in it for you emotionally, intellectually, relationally. Your social capital is uh, really about the value of the relationships that you have, both personally and professionally. And so one builds one's social capital, or should, in the same sense that one builds one's financial capital. But we don't teach that in school. 
We don't teach that at all. No, not at all. Why do you think that? I mean, it's, it's, it blows my mind. I got the answer. Yeah, all right. Sure. I absolutely positively know why. Now, let me ask you a question now. Your listeners, not too many of them are full-time tenured professors, are they? Um, no. Good, because they don't like my answer. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've heard. Here's the deal. I was an adjunct faculty member in the School of Business at a state university in California for 16 years. Okay. I was on the board of trustees for a private university for eight years. So I've been both where the rubber meets the road as an adjunct faculty and a member of the board of trustees who the president reports. So I've done both. So I've seen the educational system. Here's the deal. It's full-time tenured professors who control the curriculum, not the dean, not the adjuncts like me. It's the full-time tenured professors who control the curriculum in any university in any nonprofit university. So here's my theory. Most full-time tenured professors in business have never had a real job in their life. They teach business, but they've never run a business. And so heaven forbid that they should actually get their hands dirty and make a sale. I mean, think about it. We don't teach sales in business school. Very, very few universities have a sales course. I only know of one or two colleges in the United States that even have a, that have a bachelor's degree in sales. So we, yeah, only one. There's an all-woman's university in Ohio. I forget the name of it, but it's an all-woman's, a female university and they have a core curriculum degree in sales. Sorry, sorry. That's about it. Yeah. That's so important. Uh, I was with a VC the other day. And he was telling me what he does with all the people that he potentially invests in or has invested in. He said the first thing that they need to do is do some type of sales training because right. it's the first thing they do. You know? Right. You come out of college and you send them to a Brian Tracy sales seminar or a Tommy Hopkins program uh, because they don't know how to sell. And I think the reason that they don't know how to sell is that full-time tenured professors have never really been in a role where they had to sell and they don't view it as important. What do they teach instead? They teach what I call sterile marketing, advertising campaigns or social media. Oh my God, they love social media because you don't have to actually sell anything to an individual. So, you know, you keep your hands clean and, and you don't sell. That's interesting. You talked about learning and growing and you must know who Harvey McKay is, right? Yeah, I know Harvey well. Yeah, yeah. So he has a quote that's awesome at the bottom of his signature. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the quote I'm referencing. Where the biggest room for Tell me. do you know the, the the biggest room in the world is the room for the growth. Room your, the room between your ears. <laughs> no, no, the room for self improvement. The room for self improvement. Well, we're close. The room between your ears. It's the it's your it's your mind. <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't remember that. I you know I've I've met uh, and talked to Harvey many times. Uh, he is uh, absolutely one of the best networkers in the world. Yeah, I, I, his books are fantastic also. Yeah. I had uh, Brandon Steiner on the show about a month or so ago. I don't know if you know who Brandon is. He owns Steiner Sports, and him and Harvey are good friends. And I've never met Harvey, but, but he's the man in my opinion. So you've been doing this for all these years. What are some of the best words, and not necessarily financial, unless that is your thing, but I don't yeah. think it is. What would you identify are some of the biggest rewards and outcomes that have come of all of these relationships that you've built and the businesses that, and, and everything that's come of it? Well, I think one of the great things for me, and when I started BNI, I would have never imagined this, is the way the organization that I created has helped people succeed 
in business. We passed 10 million referrals worldwide. We generated 13, almost 14 billion dollars worth of business for our members. And so when you have so many people come up to you and thank you for changing their life or helping them succeed, having the life of their dreams and having their business be successful, it's really humbling. And I, I would have to say that's probably the the most exciting thing for me is to see how many people my little vision of a referral group um, has impacted in some way. And what you, with technology and the way things are changing, how is that affecting what B&I is doing? Yeah, so for me, online networking and face-to-face -face networking, it's not a matter of either or, it's both and. I think they're both tools in your tool belt. I just did the second edition of a book called Networking Like a Pro. It's a great book if your uh, audience is looking for a book on networking. That's um, We just came out with the second edition. It's a really good book. In there, in both the first and second edition, I tell a story. One of the times I was in Stockholm in Sweden, I was doing an interview and this young 20-something-year-old kid came to the interview. He was the reporter. And he spent, I'm not kidding, Adam, he spent the first five minutes of the interview beating me up for running what he called the buggy whip business of the networking industry. And I was like, what? The, the what? He said, well, you know, B&I, is, it's the buggy whip business of the networking industry. And I said, well, explain that. He said, well, you know, when we went from horse and carriage to automobiles, the buggy whip business went out of business because nobody needed buggy whips anymore. And he said, face-to-face -face networking, it's a thing of the past. And I said, wow, okay, so why are you here? He said, oh, well, my boss told me I had to do this interview. I'm like, I get it. You're not impressed. <laughs> I got that. That's pretty clear. But why are you here? It took you an hour and a half to get here with traffic. It's going to take you longer to get back. Adam, he didn't even blink, and he said, oh, well, because a face-to-face -face interview is always better. <laughs> and I just shrugged my shoulders. I'm like, That's when you well, drop, that's... drop the mic and walk out of the room. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And to his credit, he said, okay, all right, I get, I get that. I get that. And I said, look, there's something powerful about meeting someone, shaking their hands, having a conversation, sharing a cup of coffee or, or tea or, you know, just having, having this one-to-one -one conversation with people that can't be duplicated online. Now, maybe someday if we have these holographic images of each other, like in Star Wars. Remember that, Adam, where they had, you know, a uh, Jedi Knight, a real Jedi, and then a couple of holographic images and then another real. Maybe if someday if we have that, then, you know, it might be different. But it, when we get to that point, I, I want to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm going to put that out there right now. So, no, I'm a fan of both online. And, oh, and by the way, how's it affected BNI, which was the heart of your question? The Internet was really thought to have started around 1996 or so. So in our first 11 years in BNI, we opened 500 groups from 1985 to 1996. 11 years, 500 groups. From 1996, the, the advent of the Internet, 1996 to 2007, we had 5,000 groups. So first 511 years, second 500 with the Internet, 5,000 so, yes, the Internet has affected BNI greatly. It's, it's helped. And the reason it's helped is that technology flattens the communication hierarchy. It enables us to have conversations virtually for free. We're doing this on Skype, and it costs nothing for us to talk to each other. My second largest line item in my budget in 1986 was the um, – within a year or two, the second largest item was the telephone bill. 
long distance phone bills. They they were killing me. And um, now I can't even tell you where the phone bill is on my budget. I have no idea what line item it is. It's so infinitesimal. Yeah, I actually got rid of my landline. It wasn't you know, the, yeah. the quality wasn't as good. You know, and it's, yeah. it's cheaper to have the cell these days. And then what about in terms of technology just for the groups themselves? Oh, technology. Again, it flattens the communication hierarchy because now I'm able to communicate with my chapters all over the world. I have a podcast that they listen to weekly. They can download it for free on iTunes, bnipodcast.com and my blog. So it's so easy to communicate and educate. I do video messages to chapters, to regions. Sometimes I'll do live Skype. So the technology that's available today, it adds to the opportunity to network. I don't think it takes away from it. It's it's another tool in the tool belt. What are things of networking that people don't realize? You know, they always say, oh, you got to get a job. You got to network. And, you know, hey, you give it sales network. What are other areas that you don't think people realize where networking shows up in their life and it's really powerful? Let's start with the job. And although I'm, you know, my, what I've written about mostly is not about networking relating to a job. Uh, I talk about it a a lot. As a matter of fact, I've done about five or six interviews this week on radio shows because it's graduation season. And so here's a little bit about what I, what I say. If you're a graduate or if you know a graduate who's going to be looking for a job, here's a few things that I say. First of all, payscale.com just released a report this year that said that 70% on the low end, 70% of all new jobs will be found through networking, not through advertising. LinkedIn.com said that that could be as high as 85%. So 85% of the jobs that are grabbed in the marketplace are found by people through referral and through networking, not off of ads. Can I, can so, I interrupt you for one quick second yeah, while sure. you're doing that? And that's a recent statistic? Yeah, yeah that's for sure. LinkedIn.com and Payscale.com. Yeah, so it's really interesting. So I have a statistic buried somewhere in my notes that goes back from even, I don't know, 2011, 2012. Yeah. You'd think that with technology that that number would be drastically different. It's 72%. <laughs> so, you know, my point, I'm sure you figured this out, but for those who don't, I mean, now there's been massive increases in technology since then. And you yeah. think, like you said, with a LinkedIn or all these other social products that the number would be, you know, a lot lower. You know, you think maybe right. drop to 50, but it's, it's 2%. Sorry to cut you off. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, somebody brought up a point that I thought was really good in that if you're talking about minimum wage employees or low end, not highly educated, those often go through ads. But if you're talking about the college graduate, somebody with an education, most of those jobs are found through a referral, not through an ad. So the kind of people that would be active on a LinkedIn are more likely actually to get their their job through a referral, which, by the way, LinkedIn is great at because they'll maybe an individual will say, hey, look, we've got these jobs coming up. Can you know, can you recommend someone to us? And it's it's still a referral, even though it's online. Somebody says to someone else, hey, there's a job that's listed by so and so company on LinkedIn. And it's a great way to, to connect with people. Yeah. OK, so we get jobs. There's obviously sales. Are there other areas of life? What I try to teach with people is that it's not just a job. It's not just a sale. Like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what's going on. The UK has been the first people or the first culture, I guess, to identify and, and kind of address 
loneliness is an epidemic, something that the World Health Organization has identified stress and loneliness as their biggest concerns. So the UK has a minister of loneliness. Um, it's crazy. You know, that, again, the government. Yeah, yeah, I know that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. but again, they're addressing the issue, and what it boils down to is, you know, there should be a certain amount of relationships, like true relationships that you have, that are outside yeah. that are outside of your family. Most people don't have them, and it starts showing up in other areas of life. Health being one of them. Is, is, do you have a, a comment behind that, and how networking can benefit your health, or other or show up in other areas of your life? Well, listen, you mentioned health, and there's no no doubt about that. Uh, Dr. Wayne Baker, who wrote the book Success Through Social Capital. His stuff's excellent. Uh, what's that? His stuff is excellent. He, he's out of Michigan, it, right? He's the Michigan? Yeah, he's he's a Michigan guy. He's one of the few people that actually teaches a course on uh, networking and social capital. And um, in his book, uh, Success Through Social Capital, he, he made a claim in there that I thought was and I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure I bought at first. And that was that people that are highly networked are healthier. And <laughs> the more I dug into that, the more I found that that was actually uh, an accurate statement. So much so that I finally got to the point where I really believed that having seen the, the research that was done, that when I was uh, diagnosed with um, cancer uh, about six years ago, I went to my network. And I started asking people, you know, who do I see? Who do you recommend? What's going on? And I was able, I, I was told by a doctor, you have six months to get surgery or else it's, you're going to have, it's going to be very, very serious if you don't do something within six months. It's now been six years. I still haven't had to do radiation, chemotherapy or surgery. And I did everything I did. I went holistic, but I did it all through people who knew people who could refer me to people that had Great data, great, great results. And uh, I am, you know, in full remission today because of my network. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'm a real believer that uh, network is powerful. Now, you're going to have some people who are listening to this and go, yeah, God, I haven't done that. And I, you know, I need this. This is coming up. I have a health issue. I'm going to need a new job or whatever. So I'm going to quote an old Chinese proverb. The proverb is, uh, when is the best time to plant an oak tree? The answer is 25 years ago. It goes on to say, what is the second best time today? And so if you have not built your network, if you don't have a good social network that as you age, you know, you're, you are lonely or as you're looking for a job, you don't have anyone to go to, or you have a health issue. If you haven't done that, you need to start building your network today. And you do that and you in your future, you, you will be um, uh, more successful and I, I think happier. Yeah, without, without a doubt. What are the things that you'd recommend that people do just if they're looking to kick off? Because there's so many people that the hardest part is just getting started or, or kind of like a uh, rocket ship. It takes uh, you know, rocket ships take 80 percent of the fuel on the liftoff and then it's only 20 percent for you know thereafter to get to the moon yeah. or wherever it is that they're going. And I, I liken that to networking also. Yeah. So the first thing you, you got to do is you got to you got to read up on on how to do this. I think you, you want to build a powerful personal network. You have to have the right mindset and the right skill set. You need both. It begins with the mindset. Mindset, I believe, begins with this philosophy of giver's gain, understanding the VCP process. That's part of the mindset. Then you got to develop the skill set. Uh, the book that I talked about, Networking Like a Pro, uh, is a great book for help to help people develop the mindset. But there, there are some real, other really good authors out there, friends of mine, like, uh, well, Harvey McKay's got a great networking book. Uh, Bob Berg, 
has a, a, some great networking content, as does Susan Rowan. So pick up a couple of books from some of the people that I just named. Networking Like a Pro is one of mine. And learn. You, you can't – don't wing it because I'm telling you, if you wing it, you, you're going to just – you're going to be making all kinds of mistakes. And so here's the first thing to do. Once you get the mindset and you start working on the skill set, diversify your networks. This is a very tangible thing to do. Diversify your networks. Don't just go to one thing. Don't just go to a chamber of commerce. This surprises people to hear the founder of BNI say, don't just go to a BNI meeting. BNI is one of the tools in the tool belt for building a powerful personal network. So join a BNI group, go to a chamber of commerce, belong to a service club like Rotary, Lions, Kiwanis, or an association. Even a social club is okay. But be in one of two, three, four of those kinds of groups so that you're making a broad uh, range of connections with different people in different contexts. That's great advice. In terms of making contributions, a lot of times people feel they don't have anything to add. They, they always, you know, they have a lack of value. What do you say to that? Apologies for interrupting this conversation, especially if you're really enjoying it. I know that I get frustrated when I'm listening to a good podcast, so I'll make it quick. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us on patreon.com slash networkwise. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. Okay, that was painless. So all you have to do now is help us on Patreon and enjoy the remainder of the show. I believe a, a really good networker has two ears and one mouth and uses them both proportionately. And this addresses your question of, you know, what do I have to contribute as well as how do I go about talking to people that I don't know? And I think a great networker is a great interviewer in the same way that you're asking me a question and then you're just letting me expound on, on my beliefs on that question. In the same way, that's a great networker. Great networker asks people about themselves and what they do and what they're interested in, and they let them expound. And then they follow that thread wherever that thread may take them. And somebody like that is developing a really good skill set at networking and building relationships. You're, You're really establishing your visibility when you become a good listener. By the way, everyone assumes that an extrovert is a great networker. That is not true. Agreed. Extrovert is not necessarily a great networker, and here's why. An extrovert loves to talk. They have no problem talk, walking up to somebody and talking to them. But here's the deal. What's their favorite subject? <laughs> them. <laughs> Themselves. And so that does not make a good networker. An extrovert can be a great networker, but they have to learn how to ask questions and shut up and listen. An introvert, on the other hand, is great at listening, they struggle with meeting people. And so when you can get past the meeting people, and there are techniques that you can use in meeting people, when you get past that and use those techniques, then they're, I think they're a superior networker because they're good at listening. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. The introverts are much better. They're more thoughtful in their questions also, and maybe their network isn't as large, but it's really tight, and that's really what you need. <laughs> It does tend to be tight, but there are ways of uh, that an introvert can get out and meet people. I'm going to give you two techniques right off the bat. So you're an introvert. You walk into a room. You don't know where to begin. Imagine the room 
from the God's view. You're looking down on, on the room. If there are two people standing perpendicular to each other face to face, you can't break into that kind of conversation. Uh, that's called a closed two. Uh, a closed three from aerial view would look like a triangle. Three people in a, in a huddle talking to each other. So if you're an introvert and you walk into a room, stay away from those. Instead, what you want to look for are open twos and open threes. An open two would look like a V from up above. An open three would look like a U from up above. Find an open group with four, five people in it, but there's an open spot. Now, if you're an introvert, you could just kind of slide in (laughs) unnoticed, you know, don't make a big deal. And as people are talking, then you can throw in some questions. You can introduce yourself. You just slip in. It's easier actually to slip into a group of three, four, five people than it is to walk up for an introvert, to walk up to one person and introduce themselves. That's one technique. Here's a second technique that's even better. If you know anyone at that group, let's say you're going to a BNI chapter or a chamber or even a service club like Rotary, if you know anyone in that group, ask them if they would be kind enough to introduce you around to the other members. That makes life really simple. So the person can walk you around and introduce you to all the people they know in that chamber or all the people they know in BNI. And BNI, we actually have a visitor host that does that. But if you can find somebody that will actually walk you around and introduce you, that makes it really easy for the introvert. So there's two techniques for introverts to use. Yeah, those are great. Back to the networking groups themselves, the biggest, I guess if I had to quantify the biggest concern or the biggest frustration that people have with the groups is that they feel like they exhaust their network quickly any advice on that and how they can you know how they can keep contributing and keep bringing ideas networking is a journey not a destination it's something that you do for your entire life you really want it to continue to be strong it's like friendships benign neglect will eventually kill some of the strongest friendships that if you just don't stay connected with that person to see how they're doing and what they're up to. Benign neglect will destroy a long-term relationship. And so you don't want to neglect your network. You just stay connected. And if you're out there networking, you'll never exhaust your relationships because people flow into your life and flow out of your life. They move into the community. They leave the community. People come and go. And as long as you're out there networking, you're never going to exhaust the relationships. And let me give you one other thing. I said to somebody early on in BNI, BNI is about a year old, and I said to one of the BNI members, I was totally schooled by a BNI member 32 years ago. I said to her, I'm done. I got nobody else. Everyone I know, I've invited <laughs> into one of the BNI chapters. I don't know anyone else. Kind of said it like you were describing there. And she said, oh, Ivan, please, that's just not true. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. And she said, all right, well, let's let's talk for a moment. She said, now I'm going to really date myself. Did you go through your Rolodex? Now, Adam, yeah, you still use that term? Now, for the, for the, for the youngsters listening, uh, Rolodex is not a real expensive watch. <laughs> it's, it's a little circular thing that you turn and all of your cards – that you keep uh, on people are in there, all the information that you have. So she said, have you gone through your Rolodex? In today's day, that would be, have you gone through your database? Name by name, 
and figured out whether this is someone you want to invite to the to your network or not. And I said, well, I didn't actually go through the Rolodex name by name. She said, well, go do that. She said, have you gone through your card file? Because I had a box of business cards. Have you gone through that card by card? And I said, well, no, I haven't done that. She said, well, go do that. And then she had, this was the most brilliant. Have you gone through your checkbook register? I love I said, that. What? Yeah, because these are people I'm paying to do stuff. They should be in my network. They should be. I'm giving them business. They should be hopefully building a relationship that they're willing to refer me as well. And I went and did those three things. And I came back the next week and I said, you, you took me to school. You are so right. I found so many people that was like, wow, how could I not have thought of that person to talk to about inviting, you know, inviting them into a, a networking meeting? That's one of my favorites. So I, I used to back again before uh, the electronic checks. I used to send my business card with my check to places that I wrote checks. Uh, yeah. Any other creative ideas for the more advanced networkers out there, things like that, that you could recommend? Here's a real advanced technique. If you have built a powerful personal network, you're trying to look for higher level things to be doing. Here's a really important one. When you get a referral from someone, let's say, Adam, you refer me to John. When I get that referral from you and I go to meet John. What we tend to do is to launch right into the needs that John has, right? So Adam referred me uh, or they may say, you know, I'm, I'm doing the meeting because Adam referred you. Great. And then I launch right into what John needs. That's a mistake. Instead, what you need to do is that if you gave me a referral and I went to John, first thing you should do is say, John, how do you know Adam? And this is how I know Adam. Wow, isn't he really good? I enjoy working with Adam. And, and, he, and then get specific. Specific is terrific. So you got to be really specific. I really enjoy working with Adam. Or I'd say, you know, I did an interview with Adam, and, I, and uh, he did a fantastic job. He's a great interviewer. And I'd get specific about it. How do you know Adam? So what you want to do in a sentence is you want to edify your referral source. That, this is networking 401. Okay. Edify your referral source. So when you get a referral, the first thing you do with that contact, that referral is edify the person that referred you to them. Now that's a win-win. It's a win-win. It's a win-win-win because John now feels even better about talking to me because I have edified you and he has a relationship with you and he likes you. So now we've got a connection. Now, on top of that, at some point, John's going to say, God, Adam, I've been really, he was really impressed with you. He really enjoyed working with you. And, and now that makes you feel good. So it's a win, win, win. It's a, an advanced technique that, you know, we don't usually start with that with people because they got a lot of other things to figure out first. Yeah, that's a good one. And then do you stay in touch with the person that made that introduction for you? Do you follow up and give them a review? Yeah, I almost always let them know if, uh, if that referral uh, actually worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's a good one. So you've done so much in this networking arena. Where do you see most people dropping the ball? It's easy. I think if you want to be successful in business, you got to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that people chase bright, shiny objects. And so anyone that gets into any kind of networking environment, particularly BNI, 
It's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't burn yourself out. It takes time. Building relationships take time. Getting through the VCP process where people really know you, like you, and trust you, visibility, credibility, profitability, getting through that takes time. So don't start chasing bright, shiny objects every time some new idea comes about. Go with the tried and true things that work, and then you got to be a dog with a bone and just hold on and work it and work it and work it, and that's the way you build your business. A lot of entrepreneurs, they're just slightly ADD. <laughs> they're they're constantly bouncing around with different things. I think it's the biggest mistake I've seen over the years. Bittersweet. What do you do? So all these years, you've amassed just probably, if not arguably, the largest network in the world. How do you stay current? How do you do all this? I mean, I can't even fathom what your database looks like, notes that you must have. How do you remember people? What do you do to, you're probably at the point now where everybody's just coming to you, so maybe that's a little easier. But, uh, well, that, that aspect of it might be a little easier because, you know, you, you do, you have enough gray hair, you know, <laughs> you get enough experience under your belt. You do hopefully build a reputation where people will come to you. I think that an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. When they're working in their flame, they're on fire. They're excited. They love what they do. They're passionate about it. You can hear it in their voice. You can see it in the way they behave. When they're working in their wax, it just takes all their energy away. You can hear it in their voice and you can see it in the way they behave. So to me, having a long-term career in one field, this has been 33 years in, in the networking industry, is about trying to constantly follow my flame. You know, at one point, creating the BNI franchise operation and the manuals and the systems and the legal aspects. That was my flame and I was excited about it. But you do that for 25, 30 years, that gets old. (laughs) And so now for me, the flame is this, this is my flame. Doing interviews, talking about, talking about BNI, talking about networking, talking about uh, success, uh, talking about how to scale a company. How do you take it from garage and, and, and go global? Those are things that are part of my flame. And so I now have other people that deal with the attorneys and the, <laughs> the accountants. And my job now is, is to be working mostly in my flame. And, and this is important for the listeners. Find your flame. Now, sometimes you, sometimes, you got to do what you got to do to get to do what you want to do. So you say that again. That's just that's some, not, yeah. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get to do what you want to do. So I worked for many years doing things that I didn't particularly like, but I couldn't afford to hire someone to do it. And so over time, I gradually hired people to take on roles that I didn't want to do anymore that would inevitably lead me to the place where I could do the things that I'm most passionate about. And that was a strategy. It was a strategy I started on the first year of BNI. I'll give you a technique. Here's one of the things I did first year. I created an organization chart now uh, with 15 different positions. At that time, there were the equivalent of two employees. (laughs) <laughs> it was me and I had two part-timers, two people who worked 20 hours each. So it was basically two people. So they were in like three or four of the boxes. I was in 11 or 12 of the boxes. <laughs> so it was Ivan Meisner, founder at the top. Ivan Meisner, vice president of marketing. Ivan Meisner, uh, complaint department. Swear to you, Ivan Meisner, janitor. <laughs> right? So 
my goal was in the next five years to get out of all those boxes, but one. And I'm pleased to tell you that I did. In, in five years, I, I got about five years, I was out of all of them. But then I discovered that as you grow, there are actually more boxes that I didn't think of. So I was still in too many boxes, but I was in a lot less. And that was the strategy I used, the technique I used to accomplish the strategy of following my flame by filling those other boxes with other full and part-time employees, some outside, some inside. And that's a great technique for your listeners to do if they want to build, if they want to scale their business. I think I'm going to employ that. So I like that. Thank you. <laughs> Here's one regret I have. If you're listening to this, don't do what I did. I didn't keep that one page. That first page. I was so excited to have my name. I, so what I would do is I'd actually scratch my name off and write somebody else's name in. The person who took that spot, I wish I'd have kept that original. It would be framed and it would be here on my wall somewhere if I kept that. So keep it. Don't throw it out. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, do you keep any other mementos from other businesses, like a first check? You know, you go into a supermarket or a deli or something, you see like the first dollar and it's signed. You do any of that kind of stuff? I, I didn't do that. Everything was really uh, checks. And back when, back when I started BNI, I so desperately needed uh, the money. You know, uh, the things were really tight when I started uh, BNI. I remember one time, you know, people look at someone like me and they say, oh, well, you know, you've never had tough times. Well, that, that is really not true. I remember one time I um, and this is when I was running my consulting business and BNI together. And things were so tight and the expenses were a lot more than I expected. I actually had six weeks of paychecks, my paychecks on the desk. Now, this was before electronic transfer. So I would always cut myself a check. But if I cashed it, I'd have checks bounce. So I had six weeks worth of my paychecks on my desk that I couldn't cash or deposit. And finally, at about the seventh week, I had enough money in the account that I could start. I, I didn't cash all six weeks worth, but I could start depositing some of those checks. So um, anyone that's been successful has gone through just about anyone I know that's been successful has gone through lean times. And I certainly it's all the more reason that you need that network. All the, you know, you know, I define a network is uh, surrounding the weakness of an individual with the strength of the group. You know, so those, right. those 15 positions, I'm sure even though you held them, I'm going to bet that you leaned on people in your network to help you with whether it was on the marketing side or even janitorial. Yeah. You know, they help, right. they help. Well, listen, I'm a believer that the sum of the whole is greater than the individual parts, uh, particularly when it comes to networking. Yeah. So you mentioned success before. I've yeah. got my own definition of success. I'd love to hear yours. I've got a couple of definitions I like to play with. Here, here's one. The secret to success without hard work is still a secret. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that one. But here's here's my definition, but it'll have to be explained. Success is the uncommon application of common knowledge. And here's how I came to that. I wrote a book called Masters of Success. It's still in print. It's available on uh, Amazon.com. Uh, uh, Masters of Success. Here's how I came to that conclusion. I was teaching at the time and um, I went to BNI members and I asked uh, BNI members, what's the, what's the secret to success? And they would say things like passion, goals, vision, system, being able to deal with adversity. These are the kinds of things that if you can do these things, you'll, you'll be successful. And then I, I had many contributing authors to masters of success like Harvey McKay and uh, Buzz Aldrin, Jack Canfield. Uh, they all contributed. And I asked many of them, what's the secret to success? And you know what they said? 
goals, vision, system, being able to deal with adversity. They give me the same list. So then I started asking my college students, hey, guys, what do you think the secret to success is? And you know what they said? Goals, vision, system, process. Uh, they, gave, they gave me the same list. They did add, they had one thing that nobody else did, and that was luck. They thought luck had something to do with success. I think the harder you work, the luckier you get. But other than that, it was the exact same list. So here's the question that I posed in the book. If we all know what it takes to be successful, then why is it that we're not all as successful as we would like to be? And I think the answer to that is that success is the uncommon application of common knowledge. I mean, I didn't in invent networking. I didn't create it. I've been around for a long time. I created a system and a process, and I applied it consistently over and over and over again. And I had the uncommon application of a common concept. Uh, let me ask you this. We've been exposed and you, you've traveled the world. You've probably met millions of people at this point. Who would you identify as the most successful person that you know that you could pick up the phone right now and call? Or I should say, or if you left a message, they'd call you back. That's not necessarily a family member. And what makes them uh, so impressive? Now, I don't know that I can pick up the phone and call him. He's hard to get through to. But Richard Branson, who I've met many times, and uh, I have reached out to him um, on a number of occasions via email, and he's been very generous and responded back. We know each other, but uh, he's not by any stretch of the imagination a close friend. I'd say a close friend, um, Jack Canfield uh, or Michael Gerber, Michael Gerber, who wrote The E-Myth. Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul and the Success Principles. Jack and I have become, uh, I think, very good friends. I could pick up the phone and call him any day. It's not just the number of contacts you have. It's how deep those contacts go. So, you know, the old expression, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I don't think it's either. It's who knows you. It's how well you know each other that counts. It's not what you know or who you know. It's how well you know each other. And you got to the heart of that point with your question. Who could you pick up the phone call? They'd take your call. And if you ask them for a favor, they'd do it. That's the secret to having deep connections. So you're, if your network is a mile wide and an inch deep, It'll never be powerful. You have to have a network that is both wide and in places deep. You have to have people that you can pick up the phone call and they'd be happy to help you in some way. They're happy to help you because you've built social capital with them. So some of the complaints that I get from people that I've worked with is that they're legit. They're people that they have strong relationships with. But when they when they do need help, a lot of those relationships, they don't come through. Do you think it's in the ask? Do you think it's the the way that they formed the relationship. Any insight on that? I'd love to get your take. Well, it depends on a number of things. It could be the way they ask. It could be what they're asking for. Sometimes people ask me for stuff that it's not my mission. You know, sometimes you have to learn how to say no and say no nicely, but say no. Sometimes people come to me with these ideas that they have that are fantastic. Um, it's a great idea, but for me, it's, it's a distraction, not a mission. It's not on my mission. It's on their mission. And so you just have to learn how to say no. One of the ways to say no politely is that this is not my mission. However, I know somebody who I think that is their mission. Let me refer you to them. So there are ways of helping people. I think more often than not, they may not have the relationship they think they have. I think that's the real answer. You know, the VCP process. Here's the thing. If I think I'm at profitability with you, but you think you're only at credibility with me, 
we're not at profitability. We're at credibility because it's, it's the lowest common denominator in the two relationships. So you may think that you have a, a trusting relationship, but if they think you only have a like relationship, then it's not going to happen. So you might want to reassess how strong that relationship is. The other thing is, uh, like you said, how you ask and what you're asking for. Those, those are, those are issues. Yeah. Agreed. I could just keep peppering you with questions, and I really don't want to uh, take up too much of your day. I appreciate the generous amount of time that you've afforded. What's a question, if you or me interviewing you, that you'd like to know, or that you think that, or that I should have asked? Well, I don't know if you should have asked it. I'll tell you a question that I'm rarely asked, and I love talking about it. Oh, How's good. That? Perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear. <laughs> What's the secret to balance? Mm. That's the question that I'm often, that I'm occasionally asked. Is there such a thing? I love talking about Okay, yeah, you got my attention. I, I didn't even know there was such a thing. I've got the answer. I can give you the answer to the question, what is the secret to balance? You ready? Yes. Forget about balance. It's not possible. <laughs> and when I say this in a large audience, you always hear people go, oh, God, you know, I was hoping I'd get, listen, it's not all bad news. It really isn't all bad news because I don't think balance is possible. Balance, like the like Lady Justice and the scales of justice, where every your health has to be in balance with your business, which has to be in balance with your spirituality, which has to be in balance with your family. And if you're an entrepreneur, that's just not possible. So while I don't think balance is possible, I do believe harmony is possible. You can have a life of harmony. Look up the graphic, the logo for harmony. The yin and the yang, even that separated is out of balance. It's the whole that creates harmony. So how do you create harmony in life? Because my life is way out of balance. My children were growing up and I was traveling every other week. And so how do you create harmony in your life? Let me give you two or three techniques to help create harmony. The first one is the most important. Be here now. Three words, simple. Be here now. Wherever you are, be there. Be fully present. So don't be at work thinking about the fact that you didn't spend time with the kids last night or the family. Don't be at home thinking about that project that's got to be done. Be fully present to where you're at and, and engaged and give them 100% at that time. Nobody, by the way, is perfect at this. I wasn't. But I got to be pretty good. So to create harmony, be here now. Here's the second one. Learn how to let go and hold on. This means that you have to get really good with your values. What are your values? What are important to you? And you have to recognize when something is not on mission for you personally or professionally. Like I said earlier, I say no to some things and I do it because it's not on mission for me. So learn how to hold on to the things that are on mission for my life and let go of the things that are not. That's a tough one to do. Here's one more. Create margins in your life. Create margins. So, yeah, so here's here's a great example. I travel a lot, you know, when we're in 71 countries, so I was on the road a lot. So in the summer, I would always go on a business trip, and I'd take the family. And I would do all my business stuff, and my wife would be with the kids, but then I always take a week or longer Wherever I, wherever we were in the world, we got to take the kids wherever I had to go for business. And we'd take at least a week and it would be just family, no business. It was a margin in the travel, on my business travel. 
it was a margin for me. So even though I wasn't at every activity that the family did, the kids remember a lot of me being in those family vacations, even though maybe the first week I was doing something else. And although I'd see them every day, does that make sense? Create margins in your life whenever possible. So there's three techniques. I've written about this. If you look up Harmony, go to IvanMeisner.com and look up Harmony and you'll see I've got a list of about six or seven things. And, and just for everyone that's listening, we'll put all of this stuff in the show notes. There'll be links and everything because and uh, we might need a whole other page for all the things that you've, all the books you've written and the things that you've done, but it'll be there. <laughs> God, I got so many questions, but I'm going to try to limit it to one more. Is there a topic that you know a lot about that most people don't know that you know a lot about? Wines. Interesting. What's your favorite? Yeah. Oh, a, a big, bold, hit you over the head Cabernet Sauvignon or a Bordeaux blend, something like uh, Opus One or Quintessa. Uh, one of my favorite um, uh, cabs is Chateau Montalena Cabernet, uh, Reserve Cabernet, or Stag's Leap Cab. I'm a big, bold red Cabernet. Had and a Stag's learned, Leap last night, as a matter of fact. Ah, oh, Stag's Leap, fantastic. Also, Insignia and Episode. They're both Bordeaux blends from Napa Valley. Unbelievably good. In Quintessa, unbelievably good. I learned about wines in college. I had to take a, a course with a lab class and I hated, I hated math. So I found out that the School of Hotel Restaurant Management had a wine tasting lab for their enology class. And it was actually a very difficult class. The wine tasting was fun. But, um, but what was interesting is I actually hated wine when I was in college. You, you know, you had to take it at 21, so I was 21. But I didn't like wine, but I felt I thought it was better than math. And I actually acquired an amazing taste for wine. So we're doing this interview from my home in Austin, Texas. I, I built a wine cellar here that will hold 1,600 bottles. Oh, my gosh. Wow. What, what temperature do you keep it at? Uh, between 56 and 57 degrees. Gotcha. Have you found you like a particular region better? Napa. Napa. Yes, right. Now, Napa wasn't hit with the, was it the fires last year or two years ago? Yeah, it was, was a little Napa. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A any of the bottles in particular that you're holding on to? Uh, there's only one bottle of wine I'll never open. It's a Chateau Montalena Cabernet Sauvignon um, 1985, which was the year I started BNI. So I'll never open that one. That was the founding year of BNI. Otherwise, I don't uh, invest in wine. I invest in the experience. That's great. This has been awesome. I really I want to open the door to potentially having another conversation because there's probably 50 other questions that I have for you, but I'm trying to be Anytime, conscious. Anytime, my your, friend. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, I really do appreciate that. Ivan, you make it a great day. Thank you very much, Adam. I'm really glad you made it through the whole show. It tells me that you found it entertaining and enjoyed the content. In the spirit of helping us continue to provide such great content and amazing guests, we appreciate your participation through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Your support really helps. Also, if you or someone you know is looking for a career change, is building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com. Not only does this platform offer you a plethora of resources, but will walk you through how to expedite the outcomes and the aforementioned goals that you seek. Thanks again for listening. Make it a great day. And remember to always NetworkWise.